Welcome to the Veloce Podcast, fast and fluid conversation with Kat Empey and Richard Bott. Hello and welcome to the Veloce Podcast. So we've got a very special podcast today. We have, we are very pleased to welcome Mr. Perry McCarthy, professional racing driver. (laughs) Hello. Yeah. Yeah. So which F1, Le Mans, all sorts of things, which we'll come to that as we go through the through the pod. But probably known to a lot of people as the original Snake, uh, the one in the black suit. So yeah. that, that kind of went out with you, I think, didn't Perry, the, the black suit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't confuse me with this new Wally and Wyatt. Okay. No, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So what? how are you, first of all? Yeah, no, all good, all good. It's uh, just, you know, probably same as everybody else, just... Trying to make stuff happen and uh, yeah. you know pushing forward and you know the same same attitude really I had in motor racing you know just like that way as fast as possible yeah yeah, yeah. don't so, don't look behind well you know, sometimes you look behind to to see what's ahead because you know yes. you, you don't want to repeat mistakes kind of thing but uh, yeah. without getting too philosophical <laughs> but yeah I don't you know I kind of I'm always I'm always keen to to live that way rather than yeah. kind of referring to that way but you know I'm kind of have got a bit of a past, so um, yeah. I, I know I know it's there. Yeah, yes, and I'm sure it comes up quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, what what are you doing with yourself these days, then? Uh, I've been very very busy on a particular project, which um, is due to launch in the next two three weeks. But that's taken me over a year to put together. But it's a very big kind of public sector sponsorship deal. Um, so it's going to make a lot of news when we're allowed to talk about it, but okay. it's, all, it's all been agreed, but it's taken a huge amount of work, huge amount of focus. Um, but when there have been moments where I can't do anything for a week, then I've been doing a lot of restoration to our farmhouse, you know, oh, so okay. that's, uh, okay. so yeah, there was a, you know, years ago, there was a few of us who started off as painters and decorators. There's me, Johnny Dumfries and Julian Bailey, actually, uh, all racing drivers. And, we're all we're all kind of handy with a brush and uh, to, to paint things. So uh, I've still I've still got that. You know. <laughs> yeah, because you um, originally didn't you used to uh, paint rigs and oil rigs and and do all of that with your dad. Uh, the yeah, spot. the oil rigs really was a good way to get the money together to even come into motor racing because yeah. you know you're out there you're working for like 12, 14 hours a day every day of the week for two or three weeks. So it was a great way to put money together to actually come in to, to start motor racing because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to kick off, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, the oil rigs, you know, they weren't quite as pretty as the house really, but it's more, <laughs> of, an industri- more, more of an industrial thing. But yeah. it was, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't really want to go back out there. Yeah, it drives you nuts. After three weeks, I started throwing, throwing bread to helicopters. Here, birdie, take me. <laughs> yeah, because it must be so isolating, I suppose, being out there it for was. three weeks. And, yeah, and then did really you get was. much time off in between? Because I guess you had to go racing and things, but... Um... Oh, no, college. So this is, I was getting the money together while I was at college because okay. I was studying law and economics and art at college. Okay. But I'd be away and then come back and, you know, then try and catch up on the studies as well as obviously catching up on going out with my mates and everything. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of all worked. It all worked well, but it's um, it was a bit of focus, you know, yeah. it, it kind of it served both purposes. Like I got my exams and I, you know, was able to kick off in motor racing to the yeah. degree that I could. So where, where did the... Um... The, the passion for motor racing come from? Because my understanding is you don't come from a, a motor racing background yeah. and your family weren't involved and it wasn't on the radar to start with. So yeah. so where did that suddenly, that spark, I suppose, come from? Yeah, it's a good question, actually, because it was, I, I never even followed motor racing. You know, I remember a mate of mine talking about this bloke called James Hunt, you know, when we was at school and I went, oh, okay, right. Well, I wasn't that interested, but I always loved cars. Yeah. loved cars and as soon as I could get on the road then I really enjoyed driving mm. I'm not sure the other road users enjoyed my driving <laughs> but I enjoyed it yeah. and you know and I, I made a lot of friends very soon after with the Essex police uh, we'd stop for a lot of, cats <laughs> a lot of the time um, yeah. 
they would uh, tell me how impressed they've been with what I've just done on the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I bet uh, they couldn't keep up. <laughs> yeah. And so it, I was a bit dumb, to be quite honest. Yeah, if I look at anybody doing anything like the stuff I did now, I, I will frown on it clearly. Yeah. But but a pal of mine was um, he loved his motor racing, and he would often bring into college this brilliant magazine called Grand Prix International. He had wonderful photographs of these cars and everything. Mm. And I used to really enjoy drawing them, you mm -hmm. know, because I, I used to really like drawing, do, doing portraits. You know, there's, there's no massive talent here, believe me. I'm just quite a good, copy. I'm just quite a good copier, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, the more I drew these cars, the more I read about these drivers and the more kind of thinking, well, actually, everybody seems to be commenting on what, what I can do on the road, mm. um, which I won't go too far into, but, <laughs> yeah. and cut a long story short all these things collided and the chief instructor of brands hatch racing actually heard about me and actually come out to get me um oh, really? yeah so he then said look i keep hearing about you you need to come to brands so i went yeah okay and i just remember that first day and um, funny enough i was talking to my wife about it the other day mm. is that you get onto this racetrack and you know with with my life having been spent as a race driver now, you get onto a racetrack and you go, yeah, okay, right, that's it, that's it. But I still remember that first day of sitting on this racetrack. I'm thinking, this is huge. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just, it was so intimidating. And to get in a car, and then I took him around, and of course, Jack the lad, like, here we go, and everything else. <laughs> and, like, and yeah, he's gone, okay, right, let, let me show you what I do. Now, the guy must have been about 60. Yeah. When he took me around. Really? Blew awesome. me away. Yeah. He just, but he was so much better, you know? Yeah. He's just ahead of the car, in control, balanced it. But I kind of took it all on. Mm. And then I got back in the car and, and pretty much replicated what he did. And that was it. He said, I thought so. Um, yeah. Then he started introducing me, making phone calls. That was it. And then it was from there that I went, okay, I think this is actually what I want to do. Um, yeah. Because, it, you know, it's, We've all got our own skill sets, but mm. I always knew, I always knew about me that even as a kid, as soon as I found something, that would be it, you okay. know, and the focus would be on and I'd be locked in and completely driven to yeah. do it. And I thought this had all the elements of something that I wanted to try and go for, mm. um, but I wanted to be a race driver, but having read about the Formula One drivers, mm -hmm. there's no half measures, you know, I, no, I want to be a Formula One driver any yeah. story and that's how it kicked off so that's why i went to work on the oil rigs yeah okay so it was yes. that way around to build it was that way around and it took me a couple of years uh over two years really to get the money together mm. to then come in and people have remembered you know les's calls and i called van diemen and they put me in contact with of jubilee racing etc yeah and that's how we kicked off and um i came off the street basically and set three pole positions um but nobody <laughs> no nobody was worried about me in the race because they knew that i would smash the thing up you know <laughs> it's like i didn't know what i was doing yeah so i was that it, it it appeared that i was you know terribly quick yeah but there was there's no brain work going on because i had no background in karting doing this and i was way too impetuous but those six races in 82 suddenly i i think i learned a lot from that and then the following year i came in and won the championship yeah. um so i'd obviously got my brain box working you know still yeah. it wasn't beyond mistakes believe me but <laughs> it kind of it, and that, that set me on the road then yeah but i was using using whatever i did and this is what i tell people who are coming into motor racing or uh, junior formulas mm. is that every time you're out there it's not just about racing. It's not just about learning. But you've got to use that. If you've got no money, mm. you've got to use that opportunity to create some kind of attention or get some other people at the track who might be able to fund you for the future. So two careers. There's the one where you're a race driver. You want to be fitter. You want to be smarter. You want to be better. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the parallel career that runs concurrently has, has got to be look at me, look at me. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's the yeah. press, whether it's the motor racing press, whether it's people inside racing, or whether it's potential sponsors. So it's work. Yeah. Now, yeah. clearly, I wish I hadn't have had to concentrate on that so that, you know, many of the drivers now in F1, they've had a, 
a, a background where good for them they mm -hmm. can just focus mm -hmm. on their racing and other people take care of the other stuff mm -hmm. but it's it's no good looking at those examples if you haven't got that you yeah. just go okay well it's, it's no good saying oh it's all right for them yeah that's rubbish get on put your head down and charge absolutely and do you think it's still achievable you know for, for a youngster who wants to get involved because now you know the money it's always been big money but now it's insane do you think it's still achievable for a young person that hasn't got the backing to to really try and make it I, i'd never say no mm. um but clearly i mean even when me and a few of the other boys were coming through to try and get to f1 you know if if you looked at the odds against it as a business decision to say i'm in this i'm not going after any other career in the city or whatever that this is you know I'm, I'm kind of the gamble is to say you know i i want to get to formula one then as a business decision it may not be that bright because yeah. the odds are so heavily loaded and always have been. Mm -hmm. I think it's maybe the odds are even more against it now. However, there are some avenues because there weren't the kind of junior driver programs around mm -hmm. uh, when me and Damon and um, Johnny were coming and Mark Blundell were coming through, etc. Mm -hmm. There weren't really those programs. So again, if you can get into those houses and, yeah. and, sh yeah. and show that's a route for somebody that but you still need to have some money to be out there to attract that yeah so yeah. you know but, but that's really i guess that's the target that a lot of the boys are working and girls further me are working toward now yeah. is to say you know we need to get noticed by these programs because they they do stand a chance of getting you through i mean red bull are, are the best absolute i mean best example mm. But the, they expect, quite rightly, an awful lot, and really they're demanding. Yeah. And yeah. this is a uh, this is a ruthless game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's very tough, isn't it? Especially like you've got no time to warm up or or develop. It's very much right. You're here now. Whatever your experience is, it, you're on. You know, and if you don't perform, you're out. Um, yeah, I mean, but but that's that's the thing. Eh? It's that you, you've got to be able to do that you know the the, the chances that I've had uh, different times in my life have, have been about okay these people may have been in the car all year or whatever but you know who gives a stuff it's you know you've got to get in and go faster um, to get the drive or get noticed and that that's it you know um, and you know I've made so many mistakes in my career both on and off the track However, I would say generally, when those opportunities arose for me, mm. I was able to strangle them yeah. and, and exploit them uh, there and then yeah. and, and, and get noticed. Most of the time, I might add, most yeah, of yeah. the time. But, but, but my stuff was just kind of, you know, it's my stuff was being noticed by a, a, you know, a team that didn't have money, a back of the grid team, just to step up to the next yeah. formula each time. And... So that's why I don't have a trophy cabinet full of everything. But what I was doing was when I'd get in something, I'd be faster than my teammate and he may have had an illustrious background. Mm -hmm. So that's the reputational win, you know? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. If you can't drive for the massively funded or if you've got your own funding, the front end teams mm -hmm. and you can't win, I always completely maintain actually you can win mm -hmm. because if everybody knows the situation you're in, and then if you're able to, you know, that term perhaps outperform the expectations of your surroundings, then that's a reputational win. And that's how you keep staying in the frame. So that was my philosophy. And, and to whatever degree worked for me, clearly, of course, not with Grand Prix wins on a world championship, obviously, but it, it did get me up there. Oh, absolutely. So with things like Andrea Moda, then did, you didn't see that as a risk, then that was that was doing the same thing. It was it was an opportunity to get into F1 for you then. Well, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, Damon and I were 31 by the time we got into Formula One. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's like. I know it's changed so much, doesn't it? It's it's we've always yeah. become a bit obsessed though with them being so young now. Hmm. I almost think is it is that necessary? I, I don't know is the answer to that, but. I don't know. It's um, you know, I obviously again talking about Damon. Uh, it, you know, neither of us 
was it our first choice to be in F1 at 31? Yeah, yeah really, yeah, probably. You know, I, I guess really pole position back then was like 25, 26 to go into F1, mm -hmm. something like that. Now, of course, the, it's all moved down, you know, with Max coming in at like, you know, I think he was eight and a half, wasn't he, when Max <laughs> came in <laughs> and, uh, won his first Grand Prix at 11. And uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then, and then I had to leave the circuit to get back to school. <laughs> but the cars that you drove, you know, sort of late 80s, early 90s cars, a 16-year-old schoolboy wouldn't have been strong enough to drive them, I guess. No, no, they wouldn't. No, no. There's, yeah, one, one of the big differences now is that, you know, you'd quite rightly believe that if you, if you take ground effects out of the equation a few years before me, yeah. um, the cars obviously as they go through the year i mean you guys know this and probably your viewers know this is that the, the the fundamentals of downforce is that mass never changes and unless you're approaching the speed of light apparently um <laughs> but, but weight does and the faster you go through the air the, the more downforce you've got because of the low pressure under the car um but of course it didn't it used to mean that there was increased load on the steering wheel because we yeah. did not have yeah. power steering no so the boys back then if you look at you know the the, the real big examples of nigel you know, uh, yeah. Derek Warwick, yeah, yeah, and Mass, yeah, yeah. Jody Schechter. Yeah. But those guys were built like builders, you know. <laughs> it's like and Jonesy, you know, they the, the, they were like they were like that, you know. Yeah. And I've had it plenty of times where, you know, you're, you're in a corner and you're you're holding on, and you're going, oh my god, because the, the load is going that way. Yeah. You're trying not to open the steering wheel because the corner's still going that way you're doing 170 you're going hold on you know so so the training was quite immense even back then i guess that cornering forces obviously with the improved arrows they've gone up again clearly from from when i was out there and their brakes as well are you know are better so you know so much more deceleration and i i would really imagine that all the drivers now are fitter than any of us mm -hmm. back years ago, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Now, some of my little lot may have been ultimately stronger, mm. but, but the fitness of, you know, the boys out there now uh, is incredible yeah. and admirable, yeah. you know? I think Michael really started, you know, it's, uh, well, if you keep going back, I think Jackie Stewart was the first person really to start looking at fitness etc yeah but yeah. you know you saw somebody like james hunt james is always very fit even yeah. though he likes a sherbet or two you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and jody was very strong and fit you know but 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 it's become even more of a science as not just the drivers but the teams are looking at marginal gains on anything they can find i mean if we've got to spend several million quid on making the car faster why not spend a lot less than that making the driver even fitter yes. whether it be yes. nutritionally or whether it be physically and also mentally so that they're covering off all these gaps yeah. a lot more than when i was out there yeah. yeah yeah and do you think that's because they know so much more now you know oh yeah yeah totally course, like every yeah. generation you learn from the previous yeah, previous and yeah, yeah evolved yeah. And, and like you yeah. say it's it an, become so much more scientific doesn't it really yeah it's, it's an evolution you know but it's the entire process of motor racing, which I've always found fascinating, is the need and will and desire. To, you know, getting better isn't an option; it's mandatory. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah. to keep looking at every aspect. And if you look at, if you look at the poetry that is a pit stop now, mm. who would have ever thought that a car could come in, stop, four wheels changing off again in one point eight seconds? Yeah. And so they'll even look at the thread design on the spindle, mm. on on how the nut. Can still do the job but go in even faster yeah looking yeah. at the guns looking at the synchronicity of the people around it that it is ballet um and every single thing can you imagine you know you're coming along i'm trying to undercut and that point one of a second mm. just might get my nose out in front of you when yeah. i come back out yeah absolutely so it's it's fascinating yeah mm. Yeah, I can't know. remember what the question was, but that was the yeah, answer. No, it's absolutely great. God, I'll let you ask. Well, I was going to say, so, so we, we obviously financial pressure was a, was a was a big part of your career. How did you do? You have a strategy with dealing with that, or did it not really occur to that you were under that kind of? Was you it have a structure for dealing with the financial pressure? <laughs> with the, yeah, yeah. With the, yeah with I, used to, I, I used to spend a lot of time at a pub. <laughs> <laughs> 
try and forget exactly how much Try and forget how much trouble I was in. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, you know, it's it was a, just I, I think I've made the point. It was a question of knocking on doors. I used to walk around industrial estates, think that looks like a nice office block, not fair go in, try and chat the secretary or reception staff up to try and see a director to try and yeah. tell them that they've been lucky to survive in business this far <laughs> by not backing me. Now is your chance to flourish, you know? And you try and get the interest and try and get anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's, even if it was free clothes or the loan of a road car, or anything where you didn't have to earn as much to survive. Yeah. If it was free hotel rooms, mm. you know? It's like, I've probably pretty much made every trick in the book on yeah. free this free that free that and then of course you then then you're available mm -hmm. the, the problem is if you go get a job a normal job you're, you're stuffed yeah because yeah. then you don't have the time uh, to invest yeah. in looking for sponsorship yeah and one of the things that i try to tell people is that you know sponsorship and receiving constant rejection mm. is you've got to survive that because yeah. that is the deal. I mean, I actually understand no in 27 different languages. Which is a skill in itself. Are you a natural wheeler dealer? Did you actually enjoy that side of it? Or is that, was it just a means to the end? I think I'm fairly creative. Yeah. I, I, would, I would often see an opportunity um, and think that could work and then chase it. Now, more often than not, nobody else would see the same opportunity or they wouldn't have the same opinion about that opportunity to be fair yeah. to them yeah. yeah so it was often a no but there was a lot of people that kind of liked the you know that energy and that tenacity mm -hmm. um and they knew what it was taking for me to you know during the week as i say quite literally choose an industrial estate walk around it knock on doors and try and talk to people yeah. and that's one of the things that i kind of find a tiny bit frustrating when some people say, oh yeah, I could have done this, but I didn't have the money. Yeah. yeah. So, mm, okay, but you know, it, it didn't come easy. No, it was exactly. Like, exactly. It was did, just, you did you try work for it? Did you try every avenue? Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. and if you don't have the money to make it, that's fine, but you know, don't, don't tell me that you spent years and years and years of determination trying to do it. It's, Absolutely. But that kind of, let's say, mild aggression and irritation about having to do all that 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 focuses the mind when you do get the opportunity mm -hmm. and that's why i knew that having it was very difficult to make all these things happen so that when there were those moments we were talking about earlier when you do get in the car you're just saying look this is it you know and it's it makes me laugh when you hear about some well-funded drivers who say yeah, I'm, I'm coming into F3 and this will be my learning year. Then the next year, oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You get in the car, right? You want to be at the front immediately. No. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think if you want to do Formula One, that's what they expect. I took out um, Martin Whitmarsh and he thought with F2, you should have no more than two years. A maximum of two years of that level. If you're still not achieving, there is no point being no. in Formula 2. No. But really, they want to see you at the front as a rookie in F2. Whether that's <clears> fair <throat> or not, that's yeah. what they I, expect. I, I understand what Martin's saying. And, you know, Martin's a very smart guy. He mm. really is. It, the problem is you can't have it, you know, too prescribed, really, yeah. on this. Because, no, no, you're right, no. Yeah, one, one of the big problems about F1, mm. well, one of the great things about it, it's so elitist. Mm. You know, you've got 20 drivers out mm. there. Conversely, it's a bottleneck. Mm. So you've got this generation of new talent, and there is new talent always coming through. Some people absolutely should be in F1, but they're not going to get, maybe that year they're stalled out because all the seats are closed, you know? So they can't get there. Absolutely. So what do they do? So maybe another year of F2 and yeah, show they're still on form, mm. and mm. they keep winning, and suddenly they hit that barrier again in the second year. You see what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. So it, it is a bit of a difficult one to just be too prescriptive about yeah. that and just say, right, no. But, but, but I used to get bored, you know. Uh, if I was, I mean, in 1985, I was in Formula Ford mm. and I was driving badly, you know. Um, just, you know, that's, I'd had a really big crash in 1984 
uh, after I'd won the championship. But, uh, but I still couldn't move up to F3. Mm. So 85, I'm out there again. Yeah. And the truth was, it's probably my worst season ever because, okay, we didn't have any money, but I didn't want to do it. Is no, that right? Because you, know, you I wanted to progress. You wanted yeah. to get that next yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you can't have that attitude in that year when Johnny was out there, Damon, Mark, mm-hmm. me, the, um, Marty Donnelly, you know, it's like they, they'll take you apart. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I had a you know a little bit of front end stuff, but really, I was you know I, I wasn't there. But suddenly I had to break to go into F three, and bang, it all came back. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that was it. Yeah. That's that I'm I'm on the way again. Yeah, you know, yeah. so that's a, a fairly honest um, um, assessment, I guess, of my eighty five season. You know, and, yeah. and how did you find the transition going from Formula Four to Formula Three? You know, uh, just I, I enjoyed it. It was it was it was it was bigger. It was you know so much. I mean, for me, it was like being put on the back of an exocet. You know, coming from <laughs> Formula, coming from a duff season in Formula Ford, where I imagine quite a few people thought I was finished. You know, and and I was wondering. <laughs> but then, but then to join Magic Motorsport and drive the Rainer with the Volkswagen engines, um, you go, oh yeah. I like speed and I've always felt that the faster something goes, um, I've always felt the better I am, mm. you know, so give me more power. And so the next extension to that was Formula 3000. And I was in love with, well, I mean, yeah, I was never with a frontline team, mm. but I was able to do something, you know, fairly cool to be quite honest with, with tiny little teams that had no money. Yeah. Or, yeah. Of the works route team wasn't a tiny little team but they just produced a dog of a car that year <laughs> and, that's, and that's why I got the drive because yeah. the other people weren't qualifying it so they've gone okay what monkey do we need to get in this yeah. <laughs> you're in you know yeah, yeah. Well yeah. So, yeah but it's that but the sheer speed of those things it it really and it comes down to more throttle control as well you know and that was that was a joy to me thinking I'm going up yeah. I'm getting yeah. further along and that was so yeah, I'm I'm a bit like a Labrador. I do need a pat on the back sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so then, obviously, doing Formula One and then sports cars again. Did you did you get the same buzz and thrill out of a sports car? You know, after being in a Formula One car. It was slightly the other way around, Cat. Is because after Formula Three Thousand, um, there were there were some really good offers coming in, uh, whether it be for F1 or Formula 3000, but I absolutely had zero money. And even with different teams bending over backwards, I mean, you know, it's there was one moment where I was close with Tyrrell, um, but then John Lacey couldn't do a couple of drives because he had a commitment for his Formula 3000 thing. And that, that came down to me and Johnny, and suddenly they went for John Herbert. Uh, which is understandable because Johnny's brilliant, you know, he's <laughs> fantastic, little bastard. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I made sure I, I congratulated him on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so John's still in a couple of times there, but you know, it was my name was in the frame mm, and it was yeah. getting closer and closer. But I went to America mm. um, because there was an offer there. <laughs> And that was in what's called GTP, IMSA. So that's Le Mans cars. Yeah. And I was against the Works Jaguar team, the Works Toyota team, the Works Porsche team, the Works yeah. Nissan team. And I was able to kind of um, turn the apple cart over on that one by yeah. putting this little team on pole quite a few times, leading the races. And it's what I was saying earlier about that winning reputationally because... Mm-hmm. I had some really dear friends in the UK motor racing press who always believed in me. And they made sure that as long as I performed, they were headlining that stuff back in the motor racing pages. But kept me in frame. So then suddenly footwork is saying, okay, Perry, you know, you want to do some testing for us? And I went, oh, let me think. Yes, I do. So that you're then attached to F1. Yeah. And then there was the Andrea Motor opportunity. So Richard, a long way around the houses. Yeah. It was zero risk to me. Yeah. Because it wasn't like I was turning down the Works Jaguar driver half a million pound a year. Yeah. yeah. The, the offers weren't there, and it was F1 I wanted. And I thought 
this is going to be a struggle to qualify the car. Mm -hmm. But if it rains, I could, I, you know, I've got a lot of confidence in myself in mm -hmm. the rain uh, that I could probably really show something. Mm -hmm. But we were way, we were just too far off the pace and it never rained. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. The team was shambolic, I guess, weren't they? That was the. Yeah, they were. Um, you know, there were there were some individuals there that knew what they were doing, but as a collective, they didn't. No. You know, and there was no money, and it was all. You know, I I keep being contacted that people want to make a film about this because it was bizarre. <laughs> it was absolutely bizarre. So I kind of where I succeeded in my ambitions is that I never got into Formula One and was mediocre. Yeah, it's like we were complete failures. Not none of this mediocre stuff. <laughs> You're brilliant at doing it badly. <laughs> we were, you know. It's, um, yeah, we. I said I'd make my mark in Formula One. <laughs> but, you said but it was that. it was disappointing, and it was it was actually to be quite honest, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really going to let anybody see that. But um, but inside you're being made to look like a bloody idiot. Yeah. Uh, whereas I'd come from leading an awful lot in America mm -hmm. against great teams and against great drivers, to now looking like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that was, you know, unpleasant for me. I guess people within the fraternity knew that though. You know, so so other people in Formula One would have known what you were up against you know yeah. the, the underdog really because of the team you were with and well Benetton put oh. me in the car their car at the end of the year and I was doing some work with Michael because they were running the active ride um development and <clears throat> all joking on one side it did have a propensity to go down sometimes so they didn't want Michael in the car in case he got hurt so um yeah I'm available <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Put him in. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I just, you know, obliterated my lap time in uh, the Andrea Moda, of course, because you're driving for a brilliant car, which did everything you'd thought a Formula One car would do. Yes. Yeah. And it was faster and less dangerous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and working with a brilliant team. Yeah. So you kind of think, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted, but there was no gap for me, no. you know? So I did go pretty quickly, um, but um, no gap just at that moment in time. So that returns to our Formula 2 chat earlier. You, you've got to have a few of the stars aligned, really. Yeah. You know, oh, absolutely. At, at different points in time. But yeah, I agree completely. You get some great drivers like Nana Mylot and others that do everything that they're asked to do, but there's just no seat. Uh, you know, and you're absolutely right. Then what do you do? It's such a difficult one i mean he's gone and done sports cars but yeah well, my recollection at the time was that the perception was that that you it wasn't worthy of you if you like i never got the impression that anybody thought oh it's perry mccarthy everybody thought, held you in the highest esteem and the car was letting you down that was my perception of it in, in 1992 yeah you're right uh, absolutely richard uh, everybody thought i was quite rightly brilliant and uh, it was the team <laughs> it was uh, all their fault yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah, it's um the the trouble was that they uh there was that after you've just advertised how bad you are and everything else, the following year they're not exactly falling over themselves to say, hey, <laughs> you know, you were so consistent. You and your team failed to qualify ten times in a row, and we normally you don't see that level of consistency. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. So um. <laughs> You know, Ferrari weren't saying, hey, listen, please, please, you know, change your mind, drive for us. So, no, it, it didn't work. No. That was the problem. Yeah. And yeah. The, the last chance that I really had in F1 was to join Williams uh, as their reserve driver. Mm. Um, but I gave that to a guy who was 10 years younger and a lot better looking than me, beginning with David, you know? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So, 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 Dave, <laughs> David so Dave got that one and you kind of think, Hmm, I've got an idea the F1 dream might be over by now. Did IndyCar ever come across your radar? Obviously yeah, it did. Was huge then. Yeah, um, when I was do doing well in America, uh, a couple of times there were IndyCar teams there and they had chats with Julian Randles, who was running Spice USA, to release me to do that. Mm. But it wasn't just a question of that because Julian would have definitely been massively behind saying, yeah, we, you know, you're, you're the work Spice driver and work Chevrolet driver, but we want you to do that. But it always needed some kind of funding. 
And, you know, in America, we were running on two and six pence. You know, our, our team was running on about 250, 300,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. And the works Jag, works Nissan, works Porsche, works Toyota teams, we're probably running on about 15 million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, hotel bill was probably that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, I mean, there was loads of fun doing that, you know, kind of Jack and the Giant Killer stuff to keep yeah. putting it out there on pole on running on two and sixpence. But we weren't finishing because the engine had fouled or something else had fouled or whatever. Yeah. But, but you know, to be in there, I'd much rather fail from the front Mm-hmm. you know and people understand that something's let go because we can't afford to replace it yeah and just be yeah. right at the back somewhere you know but okay. there was you know but i beg your pardon so the indycar stuff yeah um but sadly they needed some kind of backing and yeah. we just didn't have it you know so you never drove one you never drove one. never drove an indycar no 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 so no. after formula one then um you know because you retired in 2004 is that right well at the end at the very end yeah but immediately after f1 we were in so much debt Mm. um because i hadn't been earning money i had to pay my own expenses yeah la 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 la. so the house had gone Mm. that was it we had to move into rented accommodation i still had massive debt hanging over me and i just had to do something for the family so i started wheeling and dealing Mm. on selling this buying that getting that da, 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 yeah. to bring it all back together mm-hmm. and that honestly it took a few years to straighten out yeah. and so yeah. I, I really returned to racing probably i'd say about three four years later in 96 yeah yeah. Uh, yeah it was that long and then i came straight into f2 mm. uh, again british f2 mm. and yeah. i was right in front of that so that was great mm. um and then it was richard lloyd who was talking to me about joining the Audi touring car team. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly I was mentally preparing myself to say, okay, I'm coming back to motor racing. But then the drive went to a guy called John Hinchcliffe to uh, to, um, teammate with Frank Beeler, who bizarrely enough, I was due to be teammate with in a few years time because Audi then did come back out to get me for their first entree into uh, sports cars. But in the meantime, I'd driven for Lotus, Panos, yeah. and Chrysler works teams in GT World Championship, Le Mans. Mm-hmm. So slowly but steadily coming back and then, you know, crowning it with coming in with Audi, uh, Audi UK team, Audi German team as well. And that was brilliant to work with them. Yeah, oh, and brilliant, brilliant to work with those teammates, you know, Frank Bieler, Manuele Piro, Michele Alberto, yeah. Stefan Johansson, you know, all great mates. Um, yeah and just had the whale of a time. And it's great to measure yourself against that little mob as well. Yeah. yeah. So did, did you enjoy endurance racing? It's quite a different yeah. discipline, isn't it? Did you enjoy endurance racing? Because it's quite a different degree. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed endurance racing with the top teams yeah. Um, yeah. because the cars were really fast and and you're working with professionals. Yeah. And, that's, and I enjoyed being teammates with such great race drivers as well. Because there is that, you know, we get we all got on like a house on fire, but clearly, of course, there is a competitive edge, you know. Yeah, of you yeah, wanted to make sure that you can, you know, <laughs> drill it home that you're one of the boys, you know. So that was great. And obviously, yeah, it was nice to be, you know, looked after payment-wise as well as people like Audi and Chrysler did for me and stuff. So, you know, that didn't go. After uh, struggling for quite a long while, that yeah, didn't go amiss, yeah. believe me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So back then, did you? I assume you had data telemetry and things, you know, with your teammates, so you could compare yourself, like 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 today. <laughs> yeah, we did. But I tell you a real quick story is um, when I was testing <laughs> when I was testing for Benetton, um, I was going around the da 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 da, then got out um, a cup of coffee. I was talking to Schumacher, and I said, oh, "Michael, so we went through the lap. How he takes, how I take it." And he said, "On um, bridge, he said, yeah, bridge is flat. <laughs> said, bridge is flat. So I'm thinking to myself, really? <laughs> I'm, laughing. I mean, I'm coming up to bridge. Forget flat. I'm, I'm not just lifting. I think I was probably covering the brake slightly before I turned in, you know? And it's really playing on my bridge is flat, bridge is flat, bridge is flat. And I'm thinking, right, okay. So I've got back in. Coming up to Wall Bridge, I've absolutely jammed my foot into it now 
I was thinking I've got no idea how bridge can be taken flat because yeah. I'm already yeah. moving, you know, I'm doing yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. But I thought, right, one way to see, so jam a foot in, bah, bah, turn it. Car's gone everywhere. <laughs> I mean, my hands were moving faster than Bruce Lee in a Kung Fu fight. You know <laughs> it's like, the car's gone left, the car's gone right. I must have done everything right, but I tell you what, I was also unbelievably lucky. Yeah. So lucky. I mean, I've missed the barriers that side, missed the barriers that side, come all the way around, scared the living daylights out of myself. So I thought, compose, come into the pit, <laughs> captain professional, Pat Simmons. I said, um, he said, why are you in the pits, pal? So I said, um, can we just check the tire pressures, please, Pat? Just want to make sure they're all okay. So he's gone about five minutes. So this is a data story, yeah. yeah? So he's come back. He said, um, yeah, tire pressures are fine. So I said, okay. He said, oh, by the way, have a little moment out there, did we? <laughs> no, no, all okay. He said, really? He said, because we've got you on full opposite lock, 180 miles an hour. <laughs> I've gone, where is Michael? I said, he said his bridge flat. And he said, yes, you rock. He said, yes, you rock ape. He said, that's when he's on qualifying tyres with no fuel in the car. You on used race tyres with half a tank of fuel. So. <laughs> So, yeah. you, can't hide, you can't hide behind data, can you? That's the thing. Exactly. <laughs> and I've been used to hiding behind it because we didn't really have too much of it before, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. So did you learn anything off Michael? Yeah, never to trust him. Yeah, don't listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Uh, I've always liked Michael, actually. And, uh, you know, please God, he's mm. comes through these difficulties that he and his family are, are, are suffering at the moment. It's yeah. terrible. But I always had a huge admiration for Schumacher. Uh, his his level of focus. He, I think he, you know, was the natural successor to Elton on where he's taken the game. You know, his level oh, of professionalism. Yeah. Um, most of the stories I ever heard about Michael were incredible. Mm. You know, behind the scenes, how much he works and what he's able to do on track. So I think that in general we all learn. I mean, Damon is also very generous when it comes to speaking about Michael, you know, yeah. Damon's fierce rivalry with him, but but Damon is the first to turn around and say, you know, how great it was. And same when Marty Brundle commentates about Michael. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, it's, there's no there's no trying to shield it. They're, they're in awe of what he's able to do. And they're two fantastic racing drivers. And I always like that generosity to turn around and say, that guy's great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just saying, I'm always better than everybody. You know, we all feel, that on our day, on quite a few days, that maybe it's quite difficult to beat us, you know? Uh, that's how I always used to feel. Yeah. I'm, I'm not clear, I haven't thought I was the best that there's ever been. I thought I was in a, you know, a pretty exclusive club, to be quite frank, but you have to feel like that, otherwise you waste a bloody time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lewis said recently, never believes he's the best, you know, even after he does, all he's he's believed, he does know? believe. <laughs> He's just he's just trying to sound nice, you know? <laughs> um, and if he does believe he's the best, I think he's got barely good reason to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I listened to an interview. But with, something you maybe yeah. don't know is that actually between me and Lewis, we've currently won seven Formula One championships. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. And <laughs> um, I listened to an interview with Heike Kovalainen, and Kovalainen obviously is a world class racing driver. Yeah. And he said, you, you, you get to the point where you, you knew you'd left nothing on the table and Lewis would go a tenth quicker. And he yeah. said, after a while, you're beating yourself over the head with that and you just think, I can't do this anymore. And that's I wonder sure. if that's where Bottas, because Lewis is just, you know, they're all world class, aren't they? But there's some have got that a little bit more and that's, that's Lewis. Yeah, it's just that extra edge, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I, th I think the other thing with Lewis is it's not just finding that extra tenth or whatever it is, but it's how adaptable he is. Yeah. It's just... It's, it's just consistently, I mean, you know, race cars, as you very well know, they change all the time, you know, yeah. but but finitely. Yeah. And he's able, he's somebody who's able to judge that. The other thing about Hamilton is that <clears throat> he's always, and this is something I really like about him, he's always been incredibly fair on track. Oh, oh that's really yeah. clean, yeah. isn't he? Really incredibly clean, clean driver. Mm. And that's not just an ethics thing. But that's also talent as well to yeah. not make them. I mean, I remember um, going down for a big move on the inside and brilliantly not just crashing, but taking my teammate out as well because of, <laughs> there was a, such a stupid mistake. You wouldn't catch Hamilton doing that. <laughs> 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 that's right. 
Well, yeah. we, we always say that, you know, it's, it's much more of an art than anything. And that's Lewis's thing. And he said, that, you know, driving in the rain, he said, nobody's ever written how you do that. It's a creative process is how he describes it. You know? Yeah. I'm going to be a bit big headed here is that nobody I came up against really was ever quicker than me in the rain, mm. really. Um, so I, the only thing I would say is that I've got zero idea why. You know, yeah. people would say, what, what are you doing? How, why are you so quick in the rain? And, da, 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 da. and I, I wasn't bright enough to actually know. But, but there was something about feeling it, something about yeah. that level yeah. of commitment and believing it. And so that was, again, you know, when we're talking about those moments in time to, that help you come through the game, mm. uh, the, the rain absolutely definitely helped me mm. uh, on, on a bunch of very important occasions where I was able to maximize on that and do a little bit of Perry flag waving, you know? Yeah. And it was, um, it was a great feeling, but conversely, you know, there were other times in the rain, if you're coming up on somebody and you can't see, uh, uh, you know, this is what people don't realize is that, you know, when I say you can't see, you can't see. Not see you know? yes. And you, you're driving on hearing. Mm -hmm. And I look back as an older bloke now, to some of the stuff that I used to do. And certainly when I'm watching TV, some of the stuff that some of the youngsters are doing in the rain. And I'm petrified for yeah. them. Yeah. Because thinking, how the hell did we used to do that? Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. But, did you ever get stages where you were really, really frightened in the car, but just had to kind of push through that? I had one time. Um, I wrote all about this actually this one time in my book flat out flat broke normally 999 published by Haynes available in a bookshop near you thank you it's, uh, it's going thank you it's, it's, it's going really well we sold another copy just last month um, five star review arrived in good condition thank you uh, but anyway so yeah there was a moment uh, where I was testing development suspension and it collapsed at Silverstone. And I went through back in the days when we had catch fencing. Mm -hmm. um, and I did the, I actually did the right thing. I see the left front collapse. And this is about 140 mm -hmm. miles an hour going into uh, the old club corner. Oh, yeah. And I saw the catch fencing. I came, believe it or not, I actually came off the brake because I needed to try and steer into the fencing. Mm -hmm. And that was instinctive because one week before we'd had a driver in F3 who had his head taken off. Oh, by hitting wow. a catch fencing pole, you yeah. know. Oh, so that was a that was a pretty big shunt, and I yeah I took a bash to the head on that. Two days later, testing a new one with new development suspension, and this was at Snet Snetterton, mm -hmm. and it was the old Russell chicane. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sure you're both too yeah, young to right. remember yeah, yeah. that, but that was that was a monster corner, scary. Yeah. So coming into that flat again, I've heard <coughs> and go. Oh no. Right rear suspension collapse. This time the barriers were much closer. I hit that so hard it took the support column with all the concrete out of the bar out of the ground. In the meantime, I was now airborne, smashed the thing. It looked like an aircraft accident, so they dragged me off around with smelling salts. <laughs> a few days, few days later, yeah. The, the, believe me, times were different then. Yeah. <laughs> If you'd even taken the first blow to the head I had, you wouldn't be driving for a month, probably, you know? Yeah. So now I've taken another one, which which had knocked me out. <laughs> now I'm at Brands Hatch for the Selnet Super Breed, the biggest their free race of the year. And I'm going, oof, oof, oof. <laughs> you know? Uh, 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 you know? And I got in the car and went out and I did 50 miles an hour and I'm scared. Yeah. I was absolutely frightened. And I came into the pits and I was, I was also then even more frightened the being frightened was the end of my career yeah and and i kind of sat there and i and i still wasn't thinking right you know mm -hmm. and probably proudest moment in my entire career i managed to managed to just sit there and the team given their due completely left me alone you know um and i just sat there thinking what do you want to do what do you want to do you want to be a race driver dun, 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 dun. and a very dramatic story so literally with about five minutes to go i've gone okay bang bang warm up lap Last lap of quality, pole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really? Then I came back in, knew I had the pole, got out of the car, and then couldn't stop crying. Really? Now, like that I'm not crying. Emotion. Yeah. 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 But there was, but it wasn't working. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I was all over the place. Yeah. And yeah. really, I should never have been in the car, you know. Yeah. But I set the pole and, and then I'm out and I'm just really, I didn't even kind of, I knew where I was, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And it was yeah. really, really weird, you know. And as I say, I'm not a crier. I mean, the occasional Lassie film, obviously, but who doesn't, you know? <laughs> But, uh, you know, and, uh, okay, sometimes the voice as well, you know. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so that was really weird. But but I never really got frightened again after that. You you certainly have moments of fear in a race car, yeah. you know. It's like if it's if it's all gone wrong and you've got a wall coming up, you've got a very small amount of time to try and correct everything, mm. then, sure, your, your heartbeat's going to bounce. But you, you've got to you've got to – I mean, Senna said something which is, you know, makes everybody feel better. He said even he got scared, but you've got to control that fear and squeeze it down. And I think he articulated it correctly, mm. is that sometimes, sometimes these, you know, when you're absolute top level race cars, you, you, you're going quick. Yeah. And when, it, and when it goes wrong, you've got a very, very small moment in time to try and get out of it, or at least try and bring down the risk of, getting very seriously hurt or worse you know so yeah that's but then what you've got to do with this game is that you get over it yeah and you're straight back onto it immediately you know and so me and everybody else who's done it clearly can do that yeah yeah i'm not saying i'm unique there at all you know but uh other people yeah yeah and then when you're following somebody in the pouring rain it's just going this is insane but you know but you're but your competitive spirit says, um, I, all I need to do is try and find a way past them. I might be able to see again. You know? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's interesting, though, that you, what you talk about was basically a head injury and how the sport, the world of sport in general, has taken a long time to recognise what a problem that is, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at if you look at a single seat and a big single seater that doesn't have a halo on it, it looks strange. Yeah. Because they didn't really, really recognise it. What do you mean? It looks strange. It looks so much better looking. And it looks, like, desirable. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, they just look really exposed in the cars where they never did before. Yeah. You know? Actually, yeah. it's the same with IndyCar, isn't it? With yeah, the screen Because, of course, I guess until they evolve it, you don't know any different, do you? No. So, And people like Jackie Stewart were the best at trying to make it safer and move things forwards. But... Obviously, your generation was still incredibly dangerous. And I know it's still dangerous now, but it is far safer than it well, ever has been. Yeah, I mean, we... Than we Sterling Moss we, there, and obviously, he, danger was one of the reasons he did it. Who? Sterling Moss. Yeah, no, no, sure, sure. You know, I mean, Sterling may have retired too early, to be honest, um, yeah. because, you know, they just weren't up to speed with brain injury back then no and, and certainly if it'd been looked after a little bit better over a year or 18 months or something he may have been able to return i think he actually even alluded to that to yeah. be honest you know but but he's kind of yeah he was so forthright he, he was thinking right if i can't do it to the absolute best of my ability anymore he didn't see that there could be actually a repair time because perhaps they didn't know as much as we know now so no. we we may not have seen there again he could have the way those cars were back then, he could have come back and got seriously hurt again. You know, well, there is a theory that actually saved his life, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our cars, you know, in by the time we've got to, you know, mid eighties, late eighties, etc., um, you know, they were they were getting a lot stronger. Yeah, uh, you know, with the carbon fiber development. I mean, the first car to run the carbon fiber actually was in nineteen eighty. It was the McLaren. Mm. Uh, the um, I think it debuted at the uh, British Grand Prix with uh, John Watson and Andrea de Cesaris, I think they were driving. So that was, so it's even carbon fiber now is going back, but carbon fiber's got even better on how they construct it to make sure that it's layered correctly. There's no delamination, there's no, you know, you learn all the time. Yeah. But, um, but when you look back to the the, the aluminium stuff, yeah. you know, it was, it was being run by a lot of teams in the eighties, mm. certainly throughout the seventies, the things they learn about the you know the fuel tanks you know yeah. the collapse of the fuel tanks and the, the valving system to try and avoid fire but yeah it's got so so much safer yeah so much safer. you know yeah. somebody tell me with the aluminium you could cut it with a pair of scissors some of the stuff oh, yeah. Like yeah. yeah yeah you could do i mean yeah then they went to the honeycomb aluminium which you would need bigger scissors but um <laughs> but, you know. yeah 
So yeah. I suppose we should mention um, Top Gear, really. I, I, I don't know whether you really want to talk about it or not, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're used to talking about it. Um, what I was actually going to ask is, what did you learn from doing Top Gear? Well, I get bored filming. And I get bored going around the track on my own. Mm. Uh, I like to race, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was whatever car that we had on the show, I can guarantee everybody that I certainly couldn't get any more out of there, you mm. know. So it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't cruising collect. So I was, I was out of pure personal pride. I want to see if I can just get a tiny bit more out of this Aston or the Ferrari or full focus or whatever it was, you know? Um, so that was, you know, trying to, trying to get things right and, and fast was, you know, is clearly what race drivers do. So that's that. I mean, the, the, the advent of sticky stuff, there was, you know, we were all taken by surprise on what a hit it was. Yeah. I mean, I'd often be down the pub and somebody would be saying, who do you think the Stig is? And I think, well, yeah, she's standing next to him. Actually, maybe, you know? um, but you know, it's like, but that it grabbed everybody's imagination. And I think that it was really quite charming to be part of that and be first Stiggy and, and to bring that in. And I kind of, I did have fun with Stiggy because one of the things as a race driver is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly approachable bloke, uh, but not always uh, if I'm about to go racing and whatever. But sometimes, you know, people, whoever they might be, want to talk to you and stuff like that. And it, it could even be team members where you don't really want to do that, et cetera. Yeah. So that is part and parcel of that job. But really, the race driver just wants to get in the race car. The race okay. driver doesn't want to talk. The race driver wants to drive, brum, 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 and go, quash. <laughs> and I thought, this, this character doesn't need to even be human. It doesn't need yeah. to interact. It doesn't need to understand anything. No. So I just thought... That's it. And just ignore everything and just be like a battery you got in the car. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring it to. It. You yeah. see, th th you see, I'm kind of using this. This is my background. This is my inspiration. I'm, I'm auditioning now because I, I want to act. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, it's inspired Kimi Raikkonen because he's made a career out of it. Kimi Raikkonen, I really enjoy speaking to Kimi. <laughs> <laughs> I see Kimi on TV. What do I want to do? I was actually with Kimi recently. I said, Kimi, 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 Kimi. You don't hear that name every day of the week, do you? No. He said, he said I do. <laughs> but apparently, he's got a point. apparently he's the life and soul of the party yeah, away from actually, you know, yeah. all social media yeah. and you know yeah. media in general yeah. that kind of thing yeah um, yeah yeah no I've, I've heard i've heard stories that kimmy doesn't turn his back on a party yeah so the top gear stuff was great really enjoyable but it really wasn't for me i didn't want to keep carrying on with it yeah. um you know we we got it out there um being ex-stig because after i left clearly i was able to speak about it yeah so commercially that's been very good for me uh mm. it's been a great platform because i do an awful lot of after dinner speaking or business speaking and stuff like that so that sticky handle yeah helps to differentiate you and deliver something um which people appreciate because it became you know top gear went into what was it 215 different territories and yeah you know who is the stig became one of the top cast questions on the internet you know yeah, there I, is. Think, I think it was just behind is there a god and am i pregnant <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well one closing question if you could go back and talk to an 18 year old perry mccarthy what would you say to him go to the city join <laughs> join bank and uh become a trader right forget motor racing <laughs> What would I say? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I look back at younger Perry sometimes, and there's some things that I think, well done, mate. You know, this walking around industrial estates and totally against the odds and making things happen, stuff like that. Conversely, you can be a busy fool sometimes. Um, so some of the things I was doing were just too long shot to try and get the money together or, or... I think I probably would have spent more time developing relationships inside motor racing mm -hmm. because I didn't realize that there were, Julian Bailey was very good at this, you know, 
developing relationships with Reynard racing cars, with Lola racing cars. And when something was happening with them, they had an opportunity. Of course, Julian was with them. Yeah. So Julian was their preferred choice. Whereas I was always trying to make it happen outside to bring it in. Mm-hmm. So I think that I would have I would have concentrated on being probably aligning myself more at an earlier stage with some of the manufacturers and wheeler dealers in, in motor racing. Yeah. The other thing was, I would say to the younger self is, you know, the race isn't always won or lost on the first lap kind of thing, because I think that sometimes I, I got a bit trigger happy. Um, but it's very difficult because, you know, it's that level of fire and passion that put me in this game and allowed me to come through. So it's a balancing act. You know, maybe I wasn't the brightest one out there. Maybe maybe some more consideration may have been. But, you know, we can all look back, can't we, and just say... Hindsight is a wonderful thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd said that. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. No, thank you so much for this. We really, really appreciate you coming on the show and doing this for us. It's really interesting. Um, Okay. And so goodbye to you and goodbye to anybody out there who's actually watching. Thanks so much, Barry. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Veloce Podcast, fast and fluid conversation with Kat MP and Richard Bott. Don't forget to subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and never miss an episode of the Veloce Podcast.